Welcome everybody to the Catch Podcast. Today we are a uh, Labor Day special, so to speak. Um, we're going to be talking a lot about the NBA playoffs today. Uh, discussions of the first round exits and who may be second, who may be moving on in the second round, and who may be going home. So to start things off, uh, we're going to talk about. The big matchup everybody likes to see in the second round, which is the Lakers and the Rockets. So game one, the Houston Rockets defeat the Lakers and in convincing fashion. And game two, the Lakers seem to have reversed roles in that. So game one, I think the Rockets looked spectacular as team ball goes. They played well, they were efficient, and they got everybody involved. And they were... 40 rebounds compared to the 40 rebounds of the Lakers. So when you look at it like that, they overall did their part. Especially a small ball, you usually expect the Rockets to get out-rebounded by 40, not tied at 40 rebounds apiece. And that partially, a lot of that is P.J. Tucker, who I believe gets a lot more hate than he deserves. P.J. Tucker is one of those pound-for-pound toughest guys to play against. His stats may not always show it, but if you watch those game tapes, when that man is getting somebody guarded one-on-one, nine times out of ten, P.J. is going to win the matchup, which is very surprising. And one thing I think is just, you know, it's just... So it has me so dumbfounded is that PJ Tucker has never made the NBA first team defense in his career, which is just astounding to me because I think he's one of the best one on one defenders this league has. Uh, now, it could be a little bit of biasm because I am a Rockets fan after all, but I think PJ is just, he's up there. He's got some defense, and I think. His offense is very complimentary to that fact. Um, Overall, though the Rockets played very well, James Harden was efficient game one, and he was even kind of efficient in game two because game two, James Harden, 27 points. He was about exactly 50% from the field. So overall, he's not the one to blame. And that's been the opposite of what it has been in the playoffs. Now, Russell Westbrook went out and said after game two that he took the blame for the Rockets losing, basically saying, uh, I'm just running around out here and not really doing much. And that takes a certain type of leadership to go out there and admit that you are part of the problem. And in game two, it's hard to argue with Russ. He was four for 15 from the field, just barely cracked 10 points. And... You know, he really just wasn't the Westbrook we were used to seeing in a Rockets uniform or just the Westbrook we're really used to seeing in general. Um, Overall, he still had his rebounds, but the assist totals were down. The shots were not good. They were sloppy shots. And if you ask me personally, I think he's taking too many three-pointers. Now, I like the fact that he's taking the ones when he's open. I'm not going to be upset when he takes those. I'll be upset as a fan if he misses, but I won't necessarily be upset in the shot selection itself. My big thing is this series is going to straight up come down to who plays better team basketball overall. Because 
the way I see it, the only way the Lakers are going to run away with this is if LeBron James decides to drop 30-plus every game. And because he is one of those few guys that once you get him going scoring wise, I don't think there's a player on the Rockets that could stop him. Now, I feel a little indifferent about Anthony Davis. He put up good numbers last game, but he was also switched up a lot. P.J. Tucker, their best defender, hardly guarded him. And uh, it's just one of those things that you want to see more guys like P.J. Tucker step up on defense. And it really has just been P.J. Tucker and occasionally Robert Covington and James Harden on certain areas of the court. Um, Overall, their their defense, the Rockets' defense was number one in the playoffs coming into this game. And they held them under 100 points in game one, which realistically is all you really need with this offense that they got going on. But game two, another story. Um, there was a lot of moments. The Lakers went up by 21-plus in the first half, but the Rockets still managed to cut it back, bring it back within single digits several times uh, last night. But overall, they just couldn't keep it going. Uh, James Harden, he was good, but as a team, they just they weren't efficient enough. They weren't taking good enough shots. And the issue with the Rockets is whenever they start to get in a slump like that, they think they can shoot their way out of it. And they had, it's frustrating from a fan standpoint because you have guys on the Rockets roster that can drive to the basket. You got Eric Gordon. Austin Rivers is pretty nice at that. You got uh, James Harden, Russell Westbrook. You got all these guys that are really good at driving into the paint and getting a good foul or getting the basket to go for them. And they run away from that type of strategy whenever they're down. When they're up, they know they seem to know to go to that. That's what they did in game one. They drove to the basket a lot, and they were able to make good shots overall. And once you start getting to the basket enough, it forces them to defend it. And once you do that, the Rockets do what they do best. They dish it out to somebody outside and just pass the ball around the perimeter until they have an open shot. Um Overall, I think that it was definitely a tall order for the Rockets to begin with. But after game one, from a Rockets fan standpoint, you know, it kind of looked like they had what it takes. That On paper, playing against the Lakers, they seem to always have what it takes to beat them. But a lot of the times, they cost themselves the game. Now, there there could be arguments with poor officiating, and I think that's just happened all postseason, not just with the Rockets, but it doesn't help when you have a guy like Scott Foster who is refing uh, last game, and Scott Foster clearly doesn't seem to like the Rockets because the Rockets are 0 for 10 when Scott Foster has officiated, and that is a staggering number. And it's not always against teams that are spectacular. Um, now I'm not saying it's, it's like an Eric Gordon situation where he feels he is fouled on every single shot attempt he takes. I believe it is genuine no calls. There was a lot of those I saw physical no calls and I wouldn't be against it if I didn't see those same calls get called on the other side. You know, I'm all for playoff basketball, letting guys play, but if you do something like that, you have to be able to be fair with it. You have to be able to let 
every guy play, not just every guy except for, you know, James Harden, Russell Westbrook, or Eric Gordon. And, you know, Eric Gordon's going to think he's fouled every time, so that doesn't help the case when it comes to the Rockets trying to plead their cases to the refs. But overall, the Rockets played very slappy, sloppy uh, basketball, and, uh, you know, they they got outplayed by the Lakers. I mean, plain and simple. Overall, they just got outplayed. You can't just have James Harden to be the only guy you can rely on, especially when you face a team that has two superstars in Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And LeBron James arguably been the best basketball player in the world for several for several years. And it's just you have to know what you're coming into. And I like Russ going out there and saying taking the blame, so to speak, for them losing that game. If Russell Westbrook is efficient and James Harden is efficient, I don't think there's a team in basketball that can keep up with them. I mean, they both offensively can score damn near from anywhere. I mean, combined, they're untouchable. If you have Harden hitting it from three and Russ just driving to the basket and getting every shot to go, there's not a team that's going to stop them. I mean, but the same could be said about the Lakers, too. If you get Anthony Davis going from deep, LeBron starts feeling it from deep, too. And then, you know, LeBron's, when he drives to the basket, there's almost nobody that can stop him. His issue seems to be that he tries too hard to get his teammates involved sometimes, and he'll pass up a good look under the basket, try to get somebody to shoot a three-pointer, and they'll brick it, and it's, you know, it's the next possession. So, it's really... For the Rockets, key to win this series, uh, I said this before coming into the series, you got to have Russ and Harden efficient and play good team ball. Uh, I, I, I don't, I'm not saying efficient as in Harden's dropping like 30 plus and he's above 50%. I mean efficient as in you're shooting over 40%, period. Like individually, you're shooting over 40%. That that's what I would like to see from Harden and Westbrook. I don't want to see them twenty percent from the field, thirty percent from the field. I want to see forty plus. And the Rockets have a team. Westbrook, if you ask me, there's no reason why this guy shouldn't be shooting close to fifty percent a game. He should not be going up chucking up five plus threes a game. Russ needs if he chucks up his first two and they're bricks. I wouldn't even take a third one until you're wide open. Uh, as far as James Harden goes, if if he still wants to take all those threes, that's fine. But same goes for him. If he's bricking them, don't start taking them. Don't just think you can shoot your way out of it. And that's the problem with this Rocket system. That Everybody likes the three-point shot so much that they feel they need to shoot their way out of a slump. Live and die by the three. And it works whenever you're hitting them. But when you're not, it looks so sloppy. And there's so many other ways to where you can just counteract that you know I will will not be upset as a Rockets fan if I see them go for the three even though like they have an attempt a three in let's say like six minutes of play and they throw up a three because it's a good shot that's over at the end of the day it's gonna be who plays the best team basketball not which stars show up the most and I'm only saying that just because I assume you know, James Harden's going to la- match the level of production of at least one of those superstars. I just, it's too big of a game for him, and he's proving that he's not the same playoff James Harden we've come to know. The same one where he'll he'll get his 30 points, but, you know, 15 of those points are 
from free throws and then he's still like 40%, 30% from the field minimal or like at best. And you know, there there's just better ways to play team basketball, especially if you want to make it work in this type of a system. But the Lakers, you got to give them props. I mean, Rajon Rondo stepped up. Uh, Markeith Morris was making some pretty big shots against them too. I mean, they they had their role players step up for them last game, and it helped. It helped relieve some pressure from Anthony Davis, who was able to drop thirty four points. Uh, when you when you have your role players score ten plus points, then it forces the uh, the opposing defense to switch. It it forces them to have to cover them. And once you get to that, you're leaving one-on-ones with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And, you know, that's easy money for them. Um, overall, I still think it's going to be a highly contested series. It still can go either way. Um, I still expect the Rockets to take a at least one more game. Uh, I, I say it's a six or seven game series. And I, Personally, I don't know who I can pick. <laughs> I, I think it might be have something to do with the my bias that I have on this, but I I, I truly believe that it, it's still anybody's series and tied at one apiece. It's definitely going to be up for grabs. Uh, I think the Lakers do have a slight edge. Uh, if I were to pick one right now, based off the one-one score, I'd say Lakers and six or seven. Uh, however, I'm also not going to rule out the fact that if, let's say, Russell Westbrook wants to start getting in rhythm, Harden continues to play the way he has these last two games, and you have Eric Gordon or Robert Covington or, you know, Daniel House or w- one of these other, like, role players drop 20-plus, I don't think the Rockets can be beat by the Lakers, at least. Uh, they're a matchup... I- as a Rockets fan, uh, I'm still fairly confident in this team after the first game I saw. But after game two, it's it's getting a little suspect. Um, you, you you like to see those guys go out there and compete, but you know when they get in a hole, you know the it, it feels like they count themselves out, and. That's kind of what happened in game one as well with to the Lakers. They got in a big hole early on, and, you know, they just they kind of gave up. After the fourth quarter had started, it feels like they just gave up and said, all right, on to game two. Um, and, and the Rockets felt kind of similar. Uh, you know, unless they brought it back within, you know, nine points or something like that, they usually didn't feel like they were competing really hard. Um and it was just, like I said, really sloppy basketball. Um, but overall, you know, the Rockets, I think, still have a really good shot in this. I would not count them out yet. They're not the Portland Trailblazers. They're not going to get gentlemen swept, have the Lakers win three straight. I still think the Rockets are going to win at least one more game. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised if this got pushed to a seven-game series. Uh, it, it, it's... It's definitely the most interesting playoff series, I think, right now. Uh, But moving on from the Rockets, we do have Jimmy Butler and his Miami Heat went up 3-0 on the Milwaukee Bucks. And in Game 4 against the Bucks, Giannis went down early in the third. 
Uh, he shot his free throws, but he left because he aggravated, re-aggravated his ankle sprain, and they just kept him out. And you know, when he left the game, it I, you could tell they really a lot of those players on that team rely on Giannis, even when he's struggling. Because when he left, they just decided to play better team ball because they didn't have to run it through Giannis. Now, I'm not saying they're good without Giannis. I'm not saying that they're a contender without Giannis. I'm saying that they play good team basketball when he went down because that was the only way they could come back and win that game. And Chris Middleton was one of those guys who really just stepped up for them, and they were able to force overtime and get the W. So, that's going to be interesting. I think if any team can come back from a 3-0 deficit, that's definitely one of them. Uh, it's a very favorable matchup. I would not count them out yet. Uh, personally, I think they can. I'm I'm leaning probably 60% <laughs> saying that they're going to be the first team to come back 3-0. But I also know... Jimmy Butler has been a man on a mission this postseason. He's played very, very well. And he's he's helping his team. He's playing good team ball. And he's a guy, he's very unselfish. He does not mind not being the one to take a shot. Because there's so many guys on that team who can step up for him in clutch situations. And that's why they were able to grab a 3-0 lead when Giannis was playing and he was healthy. Um... But you know it, it it it's still up in the air. It's still anybody's series at the at this point, I think. But obviously the favorites are Miami after being up 3-0. No team has ever come back from a 3-0 deficit to win the series. Now there have been teams that have come back from a 3-0 deficit and forced a game 7, but those teams inevitably ended up losing that game 7 overall. Now I think that is more than likely the scenario that will happen here. I I think they can definitely force a game seven, but once they get to that point, I playoff Jimmy Butler seems to be a guy on a mission, and I think he'll send them home if it comes down to a game seven. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they were able to step it up. Now my big issue is I've yet to see Giannis Antetokounmpo step up in the postseason and play like the way he does in the playoffs. He'll still get the similar type of numbers, but just watching him play, he's not dominant. Or he'll always just drive to the basket thinking because he's so good in the paint that nobody's going to stop him. But when you face a team like Miami that's very defensively sound all the way around, it's just it's hard to keep up with that. It's hard to keep up with that same style of play, and it's hard for him to go and get, like, 10-plus buckets in the paint, no problem. Like, he may be able to do that, but by the time he starts feeling it in that shot, they're already down 15. So, I think if they can find a way to play team ball like they did when Giannis went down and still manage to incorporate him into that offense and still manage to keep him going in that offense, then they definitely have a shot. But I just, I've yet to see it from Giannis in the postseason. I've yet to see him play clutch, so to speak. Um, that's a very interesting matchup. We'll, we'll see how that one plays off. Uh, the other one, the Clippers and the Nuggets uh, tied at 1-1. One one. Uh, really good series. Uh, I think that one's going to be another one of those. You don't expect it to go as many games as it does, but the Nuggets are just one of those teams that 
you can't count them out until that final buzzer. I mean, they seem to be down a lot, but always seem to manage to claw their way back. And Jamal Murray really emerging himself as a superstar-like player. Um, And in fairness, a lot of that might be a little inflated because he was playing the Jazz, but as we saw, he had a really filthy step back on Kawhi Leonard. He basically forced Kawhi to sprint back to him to close the gap before the shot went off. I just, I think the Nuggets have a really good shot at upsetting the Clippers right there. But overall, I think the Clippers are going to probably take it in six. Um, And uh, the other series, the Raptors and the Celtics. Raptors-Celtics, I think that is a really interesting matchup. Celtics went up 2-0 after winning in a sweep the first round. And... The Raptors just got the last two games. So uh, it's 2-2, two and two, tie series. Raptors, I think, are the best coach team in basketball right now. They have just been playing so well at team ball. And the Celtics, I also think, have some of the best young talent in the league. you got Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I mean, Kemba Walker is finally starting to really just play well in the postseason. And... You know, I I like this series. I think it's going to be a seven-game series, and it's going to come down to who plays best the last game, uh, who plays best with their back up against the wall. And honestly, it can go either way. I'm leaning a little more towards the Raptors just because of the experience. They were just in the finals last year, and they, they play very well team basketball. Um, that That's going to be a really difficult decision to see you know, who's going to win? I I really just, I don't know. Uh, I think it's a really exciting series to watch, and that's the one I I can't pick a winner. <laughs> I lean a little bit more towards the Raptors because Nick Nurse just, he seems to know what he's doing. And after Kawhi departing and them seeming to not miss a step at all, I mean, I, I think that's proof enough for you. Um. But that's going to do it for the basketball segment on this show. And now we're going to be talking about the NFL and opening day on Thursday, September 10th. All right, so now we're going to talk about opening day. It's going to be Kansas City Chiefs versus the Houston Texans. Deshaun Watson, fresh off his new contract extension, he was extended four years, $160 million, $111 million guaranteed. He is ne- before his contract run up, runs up, he will be the highest paid quarterback in the span of that contract. Now, Patrick Mahomes is going to be the highest paid quarterback ever, um, but until he starts getting those 40 plus million a year in that contract he Mahomes has two years left on his rookie contract same with Deshaun Watson and then Watson signed another four-year extension to that so Deshaun is going to be there through 2025 and until 2025 he's going to be the highest paid quarterback in the league now a lot of people I've seen are either all for or all against that extension now, I don't see many people arguing that Deshaun's not a good quarterback. The big argument I'm seeing is Deshaun Watson really just isn't 
a playmaker isn't clutch, and I just think anybody who thinks that just has not watched him play. He has really just emerged himself since entering the league as one of the premier most clutch quarterbacks. Since entering the league, the only person who has more fourth-quarter comebacks than Deshaun Watson is Drew Brees. I think that is unbelievable. And the only reason it's not talked about a lot is because he gives up those fourth-quarter comeback leads with a minute and a half left in the games because the defense just couldn't show up for him. And it's going to be interesting to see how that defense especially plays against Kansas City because we know that offense can score because they went up 24-0 on them in the playoffs. The last team the Texans played was the Kansas City Chiefs in the postseason. So I already know a lot of these Texans players are going to want to get their revenge, but the real question is are they going to be skilled enough to follow through with it? Uh, I'm not worried about the offensive side of the ball. I think David Johnson's going to lead the league in touchdowns, and I only say this because of the way the Texans run their offense. The Texans love these checkdowns. They love the goal line runs. They love giving the ball to the running backs and tight ends in those situations. And when you have a running back that is so all around with his skill set like David Johnson, I know how these Texans like to use their guys, and they're going to want to feed David Johnson. They're going to want to justify trading Hopkins for him. I know it. And I think, especially if you're a guy who's into fantasy, David Johnson's a guy to watch out for, uh, for sure. But with Deshaun not having DeAndre Hopkins this year, I've said it before, I, I think he's got probably the best shot at MVP um, because all eyes are on him now that DeAndre Hopkins is down. And last year, Deshaun Watson led the league with uh, longest completions. He had more completions over 20 yards than anybody else in the league. Think about that. Even if it was all DeAndre Hopkins, that still doesn't... If that were the case, then why isn't Brock Osweiler, Brian Hoyer, you know... uh, Matt Schaub, all, all these guys D-Hop has played with, why weren't they leading the league in this category? You know, Deshaun Watson is spectacular, and I think watching him in that playoff game against Buffalo definitely proved it. They came back from a 16-0 lead to force overtime, and he made that spectacular play, escaping a sack where Taiwan Jones caught it on the run and got him in field goal range to win the game. And the game against the Raiders... Uh, In the regular season, when he got kicked in the eye, could not see, still managed to throw a touchdown. Uh, Deshaun Watson's a guy who's going to do everything in his power to help his team win. Now, as we know, it's a team sport, and that's why the Texans weren't able to close out against the Chiefs. But if they can manage to solidify that defense somehow, which I still feel is kind of iffy because it looks like the secondary got worse from the previous season, unless some guys step up and make a big leap from this year compared to last, I just, I don't have confidence in them winning a championship, but as far as the regular season goes, it would not surprise me if they're a top two team in the AFC. It would not surprise me. I would be elated as a Texans fan, but objectively speaking, the offense has the talent. And I would not be surprised if they have at least two 1,000-yard receivers this year. 
And that's that's only if you have a guy like Will Fuller staying healthy all 16 games. I don't see that happening, but you know, if it were to happen, uh, I'm already going to call it Deshaun Watson MVP. Easy, because people are going to see that he is putting up numbers, and Will Fuller's going to be a big contributor on those numbers. I think regardless, Deshaun's going to get 30 touchdowns this year total. That includes rushing. 30-plus, easy. Um, He's going to throw for damn near 4,000 yards. He's going to run for at least two to 300 yards rushing, and he's going to get the production you want offensively. Now, the big thing, again, you don't want that defense to choke away a lead. You don't want it to where if your offense gets in a slump, even if it's just for a couple of drives, you don't want all three of those drives, your offense is in a slump, the defense to give up touchdowns. You know, that that's really going to hurt the momentum and the morale of the entire team when you do that. Because after they score a certain amount of unanswered points, it's up to only those guys who are clutch in those situations to make plays. And that's when you figure out who is and who isn't. Overall, I think it'll be a very interesting matchup to watch and a good way to gauge how the season will go. I do also believe to take with a grain of salt, I think, you might see a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover with the Chiefs, and it would not surprise me if they got upset week one. But I would not necessarily ride the hype train on the Texans if they did that. They have the toughest schedule in the league through the first eight weeks of the season. So it's not going to be easy for them to do it. But if they're able to have, let's say, a 6-2 and two record for those first eight games, I, as a Texans fan, I would be more than happy with that record. Especially if, you know, some of those wins are against the teams like the Ravens and the Chiefs. The Texans play some really good teams next season, and it's going to be a really good way to gauge this new contract for Deshaun for all those outside non-believers. I think they're going to be a tough team to stop if their defense can keep up with the offense. And that's a big if. They've only lost players. The only players they've gained in, in on the defense that are significant is basically Ross Blacklock. You got the rookie, uh, what's his name, Greenland. Can't remember his first name, but you, you got you got some some solid guys in the draft. Nobody really stand out. Nobody spectacular, but overall solid guys. And the Texans are a team that likes to do the unorthodox way. And unfortunately for them, it hasn't worked out in a positive way. They haven't had this success to go with this style of thinking. However, I do want to bring up a point. Titus Howard was one of the guys the Texans drafted last year. And Titus Howard, first round pick. But a lot of people were upset with it. Because Jawan Taylor was on the board, who was the top guy at the time. And everybody was upset that the Texans passed on Jawan Taylor to get Titus Howard. But I think he he shut up all the critics. I don't hear anybody saying negative about Titus Howard. And Titus Howard looked like a starting good starting left tackle. I mean, I'm not going to go as far as say Pro Bowl, but he looked like he had some really good potential to him. Very athletic and 
according to a lot of the coaches, he was very coachable. And the only issue you have with him right now is just trying to stay healthy. He got injured a lot and eventually got put on injured reserve, only played about eight games. But in those eight games, he had the highest block rating out of all rookie offensive linemen. So I don't think anybody's arguing that pick now. I think it was a really good pick, and you've got your tackles. Now, the real issue is the interior line for that offense. You don't have the center, really. I mean, you ha- have one that you're paying, you know, an arm and a leg for, but he hasn't really showed for the production. And that's the problem with the Texans. They they find a guy they like, and they'll overpay him to keep him. And I think that's just because of a lot of these guys who, you know, would take just slightly less or slightly more, like a Tyron Matthew, for instance. The Texans were offering him ten and a half a year. He went to go take eleven a year for the Chiefs, and that was one of those moves where they were, you know, they felt they could have kept him, but just didn't want to pay him the money, and it hurt him. So they went out this off season, signed Deshaun to an extension. They signed, uh, was it? Uh, Zach Cunningham got an extension. I think if you just talk about extending him, it was good. But the amount of money you're paying him, you know, $6 million too much a year. I think that's a guy 8 to 10 is what I'd pay him a year. He's getting paid 15 a year with his new extension. I don't know if I entirely agree with that. He's a good coverage linebacker, good overall linebacker who can do just about whatever you ask for him. But I, I diversity does not necessarily result in skill, and he's a very diverse linebacker. But I don't think he's the most. I don't. I would not put him as a top ten, top fifteen linebacker. You know, he's not even the starting inside linebacker for the Texans now. So they have a lot to work on. But week one, I think, is going to be very interesting to see how they come out. The Texans usually like to start the season a little slow, and then they go on their win streaks, and then the later half of the season they go on another losing streak, and then they're about mediocre again come postseason. Uh, But we'll see. They play a lot of good teams. They play the Buccaneers. They play the Patriots. They play the Ravens. They play the Chiefs this year. So they've got a tough schedule ahead of them. But it's going to be really interesting to see how they're going to play from week one on. If you can beat the defending Super Bowl champion Chiefs, who let's just flat out embarrassed you in the playoffs, if you can go and you know beat the snot out of them in Kansas City, even though there's gonna be a limited amount of fans there, you're still gonna have some fans, and I think that alone, just being able to beat the Chiefs in Arrowhead, you know, fans in attendance or not, I think. That's a huge win for the Texans. But we'll see how things go moving forward. It's going to be a very interesting NFL season. Uh, I'm very excited for it. I'm very excited to see how things are going to play out. And I'm very excited which teams are going to be the surprise dark horse. And, you know, my pick's always going to be the Texans because them being my favorite team, I always see the best in them even when they kind of (laughs) suck. But... We'll see. Uh, It's really, I think a lot of it's dependent on Bill O'Brien. If he just steps away from the offense and 
decides Deshaun should take over and be that Peyton Manning type of guy for the offense where he just calls all the plays. I think that's good for the offense, but the defense is where I worry. I worry when that secondary. You've got Justin Reed as like the only safety, it feels like, and Bradley Robe, he has the only, you know, solidified corner. Uh, you, you got your third-year man in Lonnie Johnson, who made a big gap in years one and two. Uh, but I personally like Lonnie Johnson. I went out on a limb and said that Lonnie Johnson is going to be one of the best defensive backs in the league this year. That is a complete leap of faith, off-the-wall prediction. I don't truly believe it'll come to fruition, but I, I, I truly think he is going to make another big leap this year, especially with him being forced into a starting role finally. I mean, you're going to have Roby at one and then Lonnie Johnson at two. And they, they have a lot of faith in another rookie that they drafted in John Reed. That He's going to be the nickel corner, it sounds like. They're going to be moving him around a lot, and they, they like him a lot. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how they play it all. But the Chiefs are not going to be an easy team for the Texans. And the Chiefs, I think, are going to come out with a little bit of a Super Bowl hangover to start, but they'll find their rhythm after the first four games or so. But we'll see how it all plays out. Uh, September 10th, the first game, it's going to be an exciting one. I can't wait.